listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. My name is Mark Kirkendall, and I'm one of the leaders here at the White House campus of Bethel Bible Church, and hopefully my voice will not annoy you too much this morning. But I also want to say happy Mother's Day to all of our mothers in the house. You know, Billy Graham once said, only God himself fully appreciates the influence of a Christian mother in the molding of character in her children. So to our moms, man, we say thank you and continue to build that character in your children that they would have a life of full confidence in the Lord. And for the rest of us, may we appreciate uh, them more. So this is what I would love to do this morning. Let's read the passage, we'll pray, and then we will see where God leads us this morning. So Galatians 5 is where we are. Hard to believe we only have two more weeks in the book of Galatians, and we have went through this entire book. But today we're going to pick up in verse 16. Of chapter 5, and I want to read to the end of the chapter, and that's where we will stop today. This is how it reads. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, and divisions. Envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Let us pray. Our gracious and heavenly Father, what we are about to do is nothing short of supernatural. We're about to open up your holy word, and we want to pray as Paul prayed when he said that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of our hearts enlightened, that we might know what is the hope for which you've called us, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints. And so to think that we hold in our hands the greatest revelation of who you are. So Father, this morning, enlighten us to who you are. Overwhelm us with your compassion, convict us with your forgiveness, and strengthen us in your power. We ask all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. 
You know, to set up this passage this morning, I want to talk about two things. One thing you'll be very familiar with. The other one, for some of us, not so much. But the first thing we're going to talk about is the idea of battle or a war, as Adam mentioned. And we're all familiar with all this on different kinds of levels of different wars and battles. Some of you might have even lived through the Vietnam War, the Korean War. I can remember Desert Storm. Think about the movies, Saving Private Ryan, Glory, Braveheart, Hacksaw Ridge. And so war is when two opposing forces collide. Happens with you and your children. Happens maybe with you and your parents, you and your spouse. We know what war is like. But the other thing is some of us in this room may not be as familiar, especially for our younger generations. Kids, your parents will know what I'm talking about when I use the word tune. You see, what happened is before digital radios, listening to the radio was an art. And what we had to do, you would find what you were looking for, and there was this dial that you had to move, and you had to be real precise. And you know, no, 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 slow down, oh, go back. And you had to tune in this radio, and you had to be careful. You slightly tune it to the right, tune it to the left, and you would finally hit that sweet spot of pulling in your favorite radio station. So here's our big idea today. The only way to survive the war The only way to survive the war is to tune your heart and life to Jesus. The only way to survive it, the only way you will ever survive the war is to tune your heart and your life to Jesus. So here's how I have outlined this passage. From 16 to 18, we'll talk about the war for your soul. It's going to be real and it's present. Then in 19 through 21, the enemy, it is going to be closer than you think. Verses 22 through 23, the victor, the victorious one is closer than you can imagine. In the last three verses, we'll see that victory, it is only possible for some. So the only way, the only way to survive the war is to tune your heart, to tune your life to Jesus. So let's back up now and we'll see that the war for your soul, it is real and it is present. Let's begin in verse 16. And it says, but I say, walk by the Spirit. So stop there for just a minute. This idea of walking, it's in this tense that it means to not just walk, but to keep on walking. Meaning you don't begin by the Spirit and then You take over. And for four chapters, we've seen Paul doing this over and over again. That the life, you begin by the Spirit, but is a constant dependence on Him. You don't begin by faith, and then you take over and you make things happen. You don't start by trusting in Christ and then work to keep yourself saved. I'll illustrate it like this. John Piper says it. The Spirit is not a leader like a pace car in the Daytona 500. He's the leader, like a locomotive on a train. You know, we do not follow in our own strength, you know, making sure everything is just right, getting those tires and the gas fuel mixture and all that right. No, we are led by His power. So we walk by the Spirit means that you hook up to the divine source of power and you go wherever it leads. 
But why is Paul, why is he saying, he's going to talk for the next chapter and a half, you're going to hear this phrase over and over again, by the Spirit, by the Spirit, by the Spirit. So why is it important to walk by the Spirit? Well, look at the next part of verse 16. And, or so that, you will not gratify the desires of your heart. Now, in a minute, we're going to talk about the desires and what he's talking about, the desires of the flesh. We'll, we'll get to that, but... Why is it important to know? Here's what we need to begin to grasp and we need to begin to understand. What is important to know here is that we will never entirely free ourselves of our evil or our fleshly desires. In this life, you'll never accomplish that. But he's going to show us that we can begin to experience victory by the Spirit's help. So let's look at this war. Let's see the war that I was talking about in the beginning. Look at verse 17. But the desires of the flesh, they are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit, they're against the flesh. For these are opposed to one another. So the oldest war that the world has ever known is happening between two opposing forces, the flesh and the Spirit. But he says flesh. Now, he's not just referring to this earthly vessel, this, this flesh body that we have. At birth, you receive and you inherit a sinful and a fallen nature. You can all thank Adam for it one day. But we inherit a fallen or a sinful nature. So here's the, the correct definition of flesh. The flesh is the part of us, the, the part of our hearts. And Scripture talks about the heart as being the center, the core of who you are. It's the part that has not yet been renewed by the Spirit. But the Spirit, the other side of this war, is what you receive at the new nature. It's your new nature at regeneration. It's what you receive. It's what, in fact, God was talking about in Ezekiel 36 where he says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in its statutes. But I want us to notice a couple of things about this war, these two opposing forces. One of the things I've kind of always understood, but there's something this week, I don't know that, maybe I just never realized it. The first thing I want us to see that both the spirit and the flesh, they both have desires. And I don't know if I've ever thought of it that way. I've always thought about it. I know the flesh desires. I, I totally get that. But I've never thought about that the spirit also has desires. So the desires of the flesh, we often think about these, the passions. We can use the word lust. We experience these all the time, believers and unbelievers. We know we know the desires that our flesh has. But I don't think we often think about, but the Spirit, the Spirit also has desires or passions. The Spirit has things that it would lust after in a healthy way. Listen to how he, how he says it in John 16. When the Spirit comes, this is, what, this is what the Spirit is after. This is what the Spirit desires. I will guide you into all truth. And he will not speak on his own authority. The Spirit won't do that. But whatever he hears, the Spirit will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. And here's where we get what the Spirit desires. He, the Spirit, will glorify me. 
for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So, so the desire or the passion of the Spirit is to glorify Jesus. It's to exalt, to praise, to worship, to make much of Jesus. That is what the Spirit is after. So both the flesh and both the Spirit, they both, they both have desires. The second thing we need to see is why are these two, why are they so opposed to each other? Because here's the truth, they don't stand as friends. You know, they're not like two siblings that get along sometimes and, and other times they're, they're fighting. No, these two forces stand opposed to one another. And it's because they are trying to use your desires for different things. Our flesh, take any desire you have. Good desires, you know, it's put in you to be hungry, to desire food, nourishment. That is a good desire. But your flesh will take it and its only purpose is to glorify you. Take anything. I mean, um, you know, we have a desire that we have these desires. Man, I get sleepy and my body needs sleep. No matter what it is, your flesh, it is after to glorify itself in whatever it is. You think, well, how can he glorify sleep? Well, maybe we'll get to that in a minute. Take the relationship between a husband and wife. God has put those desires there. They are good. They are healthy. But your flesh will take that desire, and its only object is to glorify you. But the Spirit, God's Spirit desire in you, is to glorify Jesus. So take success. I mean, I think that can be a good thing. You may own your own business, and you want to be successful. Your flesh will take that desire, and it will seek after glorifying you. But the Spirit, the Spirit wants to use that to say, no, in this, in your success, it needs to glorify the Lord Almighty. You know, take, I talked about intimacy with a husband and wife. Talk about food. There's all kinds of things. Any desire you have, your flesh wants to take that, and it wants to glorify you. But the Spirit, it is after to glorify Jesus. So this is why they stand totally opposed to each other. But notice the last part of verse 17. It's an interesting phrase. It says, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. And every time I have ever read that verse, my mind went to, oh yeah, I'm so flesh-driven that it's keeping me from doing the things I want to do. But that's not exactly what Paul has in mind. And I'll show you why in just a minute. I think this verse has meaning depending on your standing with God. If you're a pre-Christian, if you're someone that has not experienced the new birth, if you're someone that has not put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then you would read this. You need to understand this in this way. If your life has not been crucified with Christ, then your life, it's your own. And you are your own leader, and you will only do what your flesh wants. That's all you can do. There's nothing else. There's not another option for you. So you read that, and yes, you are doing the things that it's keeping you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are a Christian, if you have experienced the new birth, and you have, crucif you have been crucified with Christ, and what you want to do, understand this, it is actually the same as to glorify Christ. That what is in you, it wants to glorify Christ. The Spirit living in us. That's what Christians want most 
deeply is you want Jesus to be glorified. And I know what you're thinking, because I thought the same thing. But, but I'm a Christian, and, and I don't always want to do what the Spirit wants to do. No, it's exactly. Because our sinful natures continue to generate alternatives and competing desires, which we experience, and then we can give in to. Well, listen to Romans 7. It's helpful here. Beginning of verse 22, it says, For I delight in the law of God. So a, a believer, that, that is true. You actually have it. There is a desire. You delight in God's law. In my inner being, he says. But I see my members, another law-giving, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. So as a believer, deep down, that desire, that passion is there. You want to glorify Jesus. The flesh is always going to try to win your allegiance. But there is good news. Look at verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So if you have experience, if you have experienced the new birth in Christ and the Holy Spirit, it dwells within you. And when this happens, you have someone watching your back. So I want to illustrate it this way. Um, several years ago, um, I, I got into running. And uh, you kind of do that, you realize, wow, that's a whole culture in itself. So um, in 1972, it was a year before I was born. The most prestigious road race, the Boston Marathon, was not open to women. Only men could run the Boston Marathon up to 1972 because it was believed that women could not physically run a marathon. I know, we were wrong. In fact, at this time, I think it said the longest race for a woman was 800 meters, a half a mile. But what had happened, the reason that they got to run in 1972, that the race was open up to women, actually happened five years earlier. It was in April of 19, of 1967. There was a woman named Catherine Switzer. This woman, Catherine Switzer, filled out an entry form, and she just put K, Switzer. She got her number, actually, her, uh, her trainer got her number, because no other woman had ever run a full marathon other than no one even seen a woman run a marathon other than trainer Arnie Briggs we see Arnie and Catherine got into an argument only five months earlier when Catherine told her trainer I want to run a marathon I want to run Boston and he didn't believe her he said no there's no way you can do that so he challenged her they got in a huge fight so he challenged her to run the 26 and don't forget this point two that matters if you've ever run that far, the point two matters, 26.2 miles. When she got done, she looked at Ernie, and she ran five more miles just for fun. Well, it's April 19, 1967. It is a cold and drizzly day on April 19, 1967. Horrible running conditions. Catherine attached her bib to her sweatshirt. She kept her head down, and she's trying not to be noticed, getting ready to starting line, but word begins to kind of travel. Hey, is that a woman? Is that woman really going to try to run this race? Well, the gun fires, and off Catherine and her trainer, Ernie, goes. 
But not long into the race, Catherine can hear some shoes coming up behind her. And all of a sudden, a man grabbed her shoulder and he said, Get out of my race. Give me that bib. But what that man was not counting on, as he grabbed uh, her shoulder, what he was not counting on was Catherine's Olympic hammer-throwing boyfriend who happened to be running with her. So Tom Miller comes up and he knocks the man off of Catherine Switzer. So she finishes the race in four hours and 20 minutes and the world of running begins to open up to women. So when the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit lives in us, our desire deep down is to glorify and to follow Christ. But our flesh is continuing to come up and wants to knock you off course. But like Tom Miller, the Holy Spirit is there to defend and to empower you. So let's look, let's look, let's get to know our enemy a little bit better because the enemy is closer than you think. Look at verse 19 through 21. Now the works, underline that word, the works of the flesh, they're evident, meaning you can see them, they're there. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, uh, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies. And notice this, and things like these. I warn you, and I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So we've got to notice a couple of things. Notice how he describes these things of the flesh, their works. In a minute, we're going to contrast this. But Paul says that these are things that your sinful nature desires and also does. But notice that he uses the word plural. It's works. And these are the evil, wicked desires that are not from some enemy outside. They're much closer. They're all within us. So the enemy is so much closer then we think, listen to how Augustine says it. Lord, deliver me from that evil man myself. I mean, he knew this. Charles Spurgeon says, All the fire that the devil can bring from hell could do us little harm if we did not have so much fuel in our nature. It is the power, a powder in the magazine of the old man that is our perpetual danger. So that enemy, it is closer than you could ever imagine. So look at it. So what I see in these 15 illustrations, I see four categories. The first thing I see is going to go after sexual desires. And this is how the flesh tries to destroy God's gift of intimacy. It's a good thing, but the flesh, the flesh wants to destroy. The flesh wants to glorify you. Sexual morality, that's fornication. That's where we get the word pornography or prostitution, impurity. That's an uncleanliness in thought, word, or deed. It also means an unnatural sexual practice such as homosexuality. Sensuality, it's debauchery. It means just open, shameless display of all the evils. And so the first three of these sexual desires where the flesh wants to take what God has given a good thing of intimacy and he wants to destroy that gift. Then the next two, I put these under religious desires where the flesh wants to derail what you worship. 
You were created to worship. Idolatry. It's a worship of false gods, turning good things into ultimate things. Sorcery, or, or yours might say witchcraft. It's trusting in powers that are not associated or not from God. Then he's going to give us some society or relational desires. And this is how the flesh tries to destroy relationships of those around you. Enmity, which is hatred, strife, discord, meaning you're refusing to resolve issues. Jealousy, that's just a, a, self, a self-centeredness. Can't believe Adam can preach and sing, you know. Fits of anger, outburst of temper, rage, rivalries. This is a selfish ambition, putting your needs above all others. Constantly being in disagreement or dissensions, constantly in disagreement. Arguing, just for arguing sake, refusing to reconcile divisions. Following false doctrines, even leading others to do the same. Envy. A desire to possess what belongs to someone else. It's not being satisfied with what God has given you. It's questioning God's goodness. And then this last two is kind of what I would call substance desires. How the flesh tries to enslave you to pleasure seeking. Drunkenness. And what that means, that means getting together and choosing to use what God might have meant for good only for a selfish desire. The scriptures say taking too much wine. Orgies, that means carousing, meaning open sinfulness with others, whether that's alcohol or drugs or sex. It's just open with everyone around you. But notice how Paul ends this list. And the things like these. Meaning Paul says, you know what, I could go on and on. Meaning there is no end to the list of human depravities. The evil and the corrupt things that we are capable of goes beyond just this list. But only God can bring an end to our evil and our wickedness. And I think if we're not careful, what we kind of do, we take this, this list, these 15 things, and we like to hold this list up to other people. Let me see how you're doing. You know, we, we grade people by this list. You know, we are much better at noticing the works of someone else's sinful nature than battling our own. And there is nothing on this list, there is nothing on this list that you and I are not capable of. If there's anything on this list that you haven't had a problem with, it is only because of God's restraining grace that you haven't done that. The desires are there. But notice how he ends the list. He says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those that do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, this doesn't mean that if a, that a Christian loses their salvation if they lapse into a sin of the flesh. And I would say, thank you, Jesus. But that a person who lives continually on such a level of moral corruption, what they're doing, they're giving evidence that they do not belong to God Almighty. They're giving evidence of not being a child of God. So to live this way is to show yourself without the transforming power of the Spirit. 
Because one of the greatest blessings of having God's Spirit within you is conviction over the sin that leads you to repentance. In fact, Scripture says, if you're not careful, if you continue to resist that, God will turn you over to the evil desires of your heart. Remember, there is good news. You have this blocker. You have a Tom Miller. Because the only way to survive this war is to tune your heart and your life to Jesus. So let's see the other side. Let's see the positive side of this. The enemy is closer than we think, but the victor is closer than we can imagine. Look at verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit. So notice the contrast. So you had the works of the flesh, meaning works are what you do on your own. They are from your hands. They are the result of your sinful and fallen nature. You get credit for that. And they're also plural. There are many, many evils for us. But on the other side, you have the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit's not something you get to produce. I mean, it's like a fruit tree. You plant, you water, you prune, you protect it. But it's within that tree what's going to produce the fruit. But also note, it's singular. It's not fruits of the Spirit. It's fruit of the Spirit. Why, why is that? I think it's to indicate that these qualities that we're about to look at are in constant unity and they should all be found in a believer who is living under the leading, who's connected to that engine of the Holy Spirit. So let's look at these. So I see three categories. So here they are. If you remember the song, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So there's the first three. These are fruits that focus on your attitude towards God. Love, meaning a self-sacrificing love of Christ. Joy, it's this inner delight in you that delights in God regardless of what's going on around you. And I don't know if you've ever met anyone like that. But there's just something about someone that they have an inner uh, delight that happening no matter what it is. Peace, an inner quietness, and confidence in the face of difficult circumstances. Love, joy, and peace. These are our attitudes. This is what it should be towards God. Then, the fruits that focus on with each other. Patience. means forbearance. Calmness. I love this. Calmness under attack. The ability to face trouble with others without blowing up. That's patience. Kindness. The ability to serve one another. Goodness. That's integrity, being the same person in every situation. And then the last ones are fruits that focus on our attitude toward ourselves. Paul says this, faithfulness, that's loyalty to this good book. And what God says, it's courage to believe the gospel. Gentleness, it's a humility, a self-forgetfulness. Submission to God's word, having a teachable spirit, self-control, controlling those impulses, mastering your desires in the law, or just following a set of rules is what he says. He says these could never, following a set of rules could never produce 
these results. It is the work of the Spirit that lives inside each and every believer. Because the victor is so much closer than you can imagine. I mean, he is right within you. But the only way, the only way to survive the war is to tune your heart and your life to Jesus. So the last part, I see it this way. Victory is possible for some. And this should, in some ways, be excited, but in some ways, it should sadden us. Look at verse 24. And those who belong to Christ, they have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. So Paul begins this by saying, those who belong to Jesus Christ. So victory over flesh is only possible for those that belong to Christ. If you don't belong to Christ, you right now stand hopeless. For those that do know Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, those, there, there is a power, something to be experienced there. But the only way, the only way is for those that have been crucified with Christ can experience victory over the flesh. But it's, it, it's important. If you go back, go to Galatians 2, you should see some familiar phrases. Paul says, for I have been crucified with Christ. Something, it was in the past, it was done to me. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It was passive tense, and it was always something that was done to him. God crucified us with Christ. But here, Paul changes. Paul moves from a passive tense to an active tense, meaning it's something we are supposed to do. So what is it we're supposed to do? Look at the last two verses. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying over one another. Meaning, you and I have the Spirit. We are to live and then to keep in step with the Spirit. We, we begin by faith. We begin in the Spirit. And then we are to continue to walk and to keep in step with the Spirit. And I think that's what it means to tune your hearts and lives to Jesus is to walk by the Spirit. And so the only way to survive the war is to tune your heart to Jesus. But how do you do that? How, how does a person, how do you tune your heart to Jesus? Well, I think this could be done in numerous ways. And I would begin by saying this. If the only time you're engaging with, with God's Word, if the only time you're thinking and preaching and thinking about the gospel and examining your heart is on Sunday mornings, it'll never be enough. It must be a daily occurrence of his children coming to the greatest revelation we have of who our Father is. But another way is something I stole. I, I created an acronym. I created an acronym that's, it means it's, it's RATOP. In fact, just the other day, I was getting all stressed about something. My wife looks at me and she just says, RATOP. And I'm like, I know. Well, here's what it stands for. It means, first of all, recognize my need. Ask God for help. Trust in God's promises. Obey and then praise Him. 
So take preaching. I mean, every week I try to go, God, I, I need you in this. I can't do this. I, I can give some words, but, but that's all I can do. Ask God to help. God, do something. Do what only you can do. Trust in God's promise. God tells me that his word will not return to him void. And then obey. Okay, God, I'm going to get up. I, I've studied. I, I've tried to be close to you in this. And then praise God for what he's going to do. Take discipline your children. How many times do we go in just to relieve the, the stress and the anger that we have? Because there's power coming out of this hand and it's going to hit somebody. But take disciplining. Stopping and going, okay, God, I need you in this moment. I am so angry at this child. God, I need your help. I need your help. I need you to calm me down and I need to make the best of this moment. Then you trust in God's promise. Train up a child in the way he will go, and he will not depart from it. And then you obey. Then you do discipline. And then you praise God. God, thank you. Thank you for being there. Thank you for giving me what I need. Take a meeting, I don't know, maybe with a teacher at school, or maybe you are the teacher with the parent. God, recognize, and God, I need you in this moment. I don't think they're understanding me, or I'm not for sure what to do. Ask God for help. Trust in God's promises. Maybe do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And then you obey. And then you praise God. Maybe you're an employee or a boss or you have a client. Before you go into that meeting, God, I need you in this. God, would you help me? Would you help me to say the right thing? I know this is going to be hard to hear. Then you trust in God's promises. The Lord delights in those that are trustworthy. You obey and you quickly praise. What about buying or selling a house? I know we have several going through that. God, I need you in this. I can't do this. I can't move things the way they need to be moved. God, would you please, would you please go before me? A promise? Acts 17 says, God has set the place for you to live. Okay, God, I'm going to trust that, that you know how this is going to work out. And you're going to obey. And then you praise God. I don't know, maybe for you, maybe music. Maybe music feeds your soul. Maybe that's what you can use to tune your heart. Maybe whatever fleshly desire you're struggling with, find a promise that God might have in his word and write it down, memorize it, and meditate on it. Put it somewhere where it's ever before you. For others, man, tuning your heart to Christ might be finding a way to serve, giving something greater than just yourself. But we have to tune our hearts to Christ. When we do that, you know really what it is? It's finding things that stir your affections for Christ, whatever that might be. Man, for you, it might be mowing your yard. And in that, you get to put your headphones and you get to block out the world and you get to think about him. But we tune our hearts to Christ by finding things that stir our affections. So here's how it would close. We must all hear these warnings today. Because no Christian is so strong or mature that they do not need these warnings, including me. But no Christian is so weak that we cannot experience freedom. So there is a war. There is a war and it is real and it is present. And the enemy, it is so much closer than you think it is right within us. But the great news is the victor is so much closer than we can imagine. 
So the only way to survive the war is to tune your heart to Jesus. Pray with me. Merciful uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for saving us, but also for not leaving us to survive on our own. We thank you for your all-sustaining gift of your Holy Spirit. And Lord, I ask that you would continue to call people out of darkness of sin and evil and into the light of life and freedom. And Lord, as we depart from this place of worship this morning, continue to lead us and give us the strength to tune our lives to Jesus on this day and each day that we live. And Lord, we ask all of these things in the precious name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.